uh, just a reminder for that. But if, um, if you could turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, we've been reading passages of, about really what happened at the cross, of what, what the pain and humiliation that Jesus experienced as he, as, he bore, as he went to the cross and as he bore the cross. And Hebrews really talks more about, in our passage this evening, what, what happens because of the cross. So what does the cross accomplish in what Jesus Christ has done? And we, we live in a very modern age, right? So you don't need me to tell you this, right? We, 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 we live in a modern age, and so we live in an age where we do a lot of things differently than we used to do, and sometimes we do things that are, you know, that are better, sometimes we probably do things that are worse, and sometimes we just do things that are different, and there's trade-offs with, with those things, right? So there's just thinking about like communication in a modern age. Like there's benefits to how we communicate now, like phones and you know just texting. It's made it so much easier to communicate, and you can just keep up with people, you know, from you know 30 years in your past, and you know all spheres of your world. You can keep up easier, right? And there's just there's real advantages of, of being able to communicate how we do now, and it's easier to do business over email and all these kinds of things. But but in some ways it's also harder, right? We we we've lost something as a society, right? That that how often is it that people are in the same room and they're texting to people, you know, they're not talking to the person in the room, but they're texting to somebody outside the room or at a lot of holiday gatherings, they're texting people in the room. And, you know, there's just this, we've lost sort of some abilities in our communication. So there's advantages to it now and there's disadvantages to it now. And then there's some times where, you know, I don't think everything's better now. I'm not one of those guys, but there's, there's certain things that you just clearly say, yep, this is just better today. Like there's a reason that that old way is now gone, that, that it was just inferior. I was reading that, like, a couple weeks ago that, I, I didn't know this, but that, you know, there, was, there used to be an asthma treatment. So, you know, asthma, you know, like when you have trouble breathing, and don't ask me from actually more what asthma has been besides somebody having trouble breathing, but an old asthma treatment was actually, they w- would recommend that the person smoke cigarettes was, was an asthma treatment they would have. Now, I'm not, I don't have a medical degree, but I can kind of see the problem of somebody who sort of has constricted airways being asked to smoke. And I can just say, I think that that's just an inferior way of treating. And so I just say, there's drugs now, there's sprays now. It just feels like everything we're offering for asthma is just better than cigarettes, right? Or not to get into like vaccine debates, but it used to be this disease polio that would either kill or just leave like just, you know, you know, thousands of people disabled who would get them, you know, and the treatment for polio was the iron lung. And if you know anything about the iron lung, like if you don't like look it up, but it's, just horrendous treatment, you know what I mean? Just like this, it's just painful and you're just in it. It's just this terrible way of being treated. And now there's just, you know, you take a, you take a shot and you're just, you, you don't get polio. And there's just sort of ways that I would say, boy, it's, you know, we, we lose sometimes some things with the old ways, but there's sometimes where the old way is just inferior, that, that a new way comes and, it, and it's just superior in every way. When our passage this evening out of Hebrews 10, we, we are comparing Christ and his cross to the old way. We are, the author is, is comparing what, how, what was the old way and what, was, and what does the cross accomplish. And what we see is that the cross is superior to the old way. But it's not just that the cross is superior to the old way. It, it, the cross of Christ is superior in every way. The cross of Christ is superior in every way. And so for that, we're going to read out of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 23. So if you're able, I'm going to ask if you could stand as we read God's word together. If you're guests, we, we, we do this just to show our reverence to God's word and just that we are all, that we want to just show our respect and reverence to the word of God as we read. But we're going to read verses 11 through 23. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, 
which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. When, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from every evil conscience, from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Well, you may be seated. A major theme in the book of Hebrews, we're, we're, we're out of really a major theme out of Hebrews as a whole is, and this passage certainly is part of that, is, is, is comparing Jesus and what Jesus has accomplished in the ministry of Jesus to what, what happened before, sort of, sort of Jesus versus other things. Jesus compared to other things, and it just shows over and over again that Jesus is you know, greater and superior to anything and everything, but then to particular things, that he's superior to the ministry of Moses, that he's, he's the best priest, that he has the best hope, he offers the best salvation. And here we see what comparing Jesus, what Jesus did at the cross and in his sacrifice to what came before. And again, we see that the cross of Christ is superior in every way. And we're going to look at that just through two simple points this evening. And, and point one is this, that the old way is deficient. The old way is deficient. So before the author starts telling us what, what Christ has done and what, what the cross has done and how that is superior, he starts out by showing us what the old way is, and immediately we see that the old way is inferior in every way. As he shows us the old way, it's just obvious. Well, that's, that's insufficient. That, that's not going to work. That's like giving cigarettes to an asthma patient. Like it's just, making, it's just not going to solve the ultimate problem. So in verse 11, he says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. The wages of sin is death. All sin requi re requires death as a punishment. All sin requires death, not because God is mean, not because God has it out for people, but because God is perfect and pure and holy. And every sin is cosmic treason against a holy God. And I think because we... we, 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 we don't in our lives face the, the, the full consequences immediately of our sin. And because we're, we're fallen humanity, I think it's so often not, to th we so often don't think in these terms. Because God has just shown us just mercy time and time again in our lives. We, it, it's easy to th think that in some ways he's less than holy. Because we've not experienced the, the full wrath of him, the full wrath that we deserve. It's, it's easy to think that maybe he's, he's not quite fully holy. Maybe he's He's not going to pour out his full wrath on sin. But, but these are the rightful terms. From every sin, from disobedience to one's parents, to an unkind word or thought, to things that would just be considered scandalous, the wages of sin, the consequences of sin, is death. 
Now, the old way is God provided in His incredible mercy. He, and he, he, God provided in His incredible mercy by allowing, basically not having the sinner be killed for their sin, but allowing their sin to be placed on a substitute sacrifice, on an offering, on a sacrifice that would take their place. And so the system was for, ver- for various sins is that animals would take the place of sinners, both individually and as a community. And there would be things like bulls and goats and turtle doves, and they would, they would come and they would be at the altar and they would be at the temple and they would be sacrificed. And it was just a terrible and bloody scene. It, was just, it would overwhelm the senses to be there as you just, as you just, you know, just had the stench of death. You, you saw the gore of sacrifices around you. There was just this just sort of full sensory experience of the reminder of, the, of what sin brings, of what sin's consequences are, as you'd have sacrifice after sacrifice. And here Hebrews tells us that there, there's sacrifice after sacrifice that has to be offered. It's sinner after sinner after sinner that has to offer the sacrifice. Priest after priest has to offer sacrifices. And so there, there's the problem with this system is that every day the priest would have to go It says that the priest was daily at his service. But then it says not just that he was daily at his service, not just that the priest was there every day. It makes this intentional word choice where it would say the priest would stand, he stood daily at his service. And this isn't just a technical, okay, the the priest happened to be standing while these these sacrifices were made. It's meant to evoke an image in our mind. Do you ever... Probably most of you have seen like a young mom who seems kind of tired at times, right? So, so in my experience, like, most young moms, right, they, in the not-too-distant past, have, have given birth at some point, which seems taxing in and of itself. So there's, there's that whole thing, you know, um, and you're still kind of recovering from that. And you haven't, like how many ever young kids you've got, you haven't slept like a full night since like before the first child came, right? So you have like already all this build, on, build in. But then like young moms, like it just seems like all day, like they just seem tired because... They're just caring for little ones all day, right? So there's like diapers and they got to play with, you know, know, they're playing with the kids and they're stopping fights. And so it feels like they're either kind of putting out the problem or getting ahead of the next problem, right? There's just sort of this constant directing and redirecting that young moms are having to do. And all day they're just kind of on their feet. They're never sitting down. They're just always working. Like some reason the kid gets a snack break, but the mom doesn't get a snack break. They're just kind of moving on to the next thing, right? This is just kind of the life of young moms. And there's just this sense of like, they're tired and like they, they, they never just sit down and just relax, right? And that's what sort of sit you know they're just always moving always in motion that that's the image here that the priest is standing there's never a break for the priest but it's just always another sacrifice and another one and another one for another sinner and another sinner non-stop it's just every priest is just on this constant loop but then at least you think okay well I mean, that, that's hard, but at least it takes away our sin, right? Well, then Hebrews tells us, and this is the real hard part, oh, and by the way, and that can never take away sin. And, I mean, how could it? How could the blood of an animal cover the sin of man? See, God in his mercy allowed that for a, for a while uh, as a means of showing. He allowed this sacrificial system as, for, as a while as a way of showing and pointing to that He will one day provide the ultimate sacrifice at the cross. So these sacrifices weren't, weren't the way. They pointed to the way of a sacrifice of Jesus Christ that would be offered. But these old sacrifices were never enough. They were 
deficient. So the old way is deficient, but Christ's way is abundant. Christ's way is abundant. So the cross of Christ is superior in every way. So that's verse 11. So in verse 12, then we read this. But when Christ, So we have the old way, the priest standing, offering sacrifice after sacrifice. But verse 12 says this. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So the old way is deficient, but the new way of Christ and his cross is sufficient. It's, it's a, a single sacrifice for all time. And then note how it says, and then he sat down because the work was done. One sacrifice was sufficient. One sacrifice once for all accomplished salvation. But it's not just that it, it met the bare minimum. It's not just that, okay, it technically did enough to get the job done. It, it's sufficient. It, it, it's, this passage, and we're going we're to talk about it, but it's abundant. It's extravagant. It's, it's overflowing in what it provides. See, in verse 18, it, is, it notes that there's forgiveness for sins. And where there's forgiveness, there's no need for another sacrifice. So the sacrifice that was offered in Christ is supreme and superior. And not just for, for some sins, but for all sins for all time. It's not, it's not sort of one sacrifice for, for certain sins. It, it's, it's forgiveness of all sins. This is, this is sufficient for all sins for every sinner who trusts in Jesus Christ. But then it does, doesn't just say, one of the things I love about this passage, it doesn't just say, okay, yep, the old way wasn't enough, Jesus, and you know, that, that is enough. It, it's not just saying, they, okay, it, it's superior. It goes on to show us ways that it's superior, what the cross of Christ accomplishes for his people. This passage in particular, there's six ways that it shows us it's superior. And I actually love, they all begin with the letter C. So I, I really like when that happens. A couple I'm kind of making them start with the letter C, but we're going to make it work. So, but, they, they all, but there's six things that we see that, that, that why the cross is superior to the old way. So, so what, else, what ha- else happens beyond forgiveness? Well, verse 13 notes, well, he conquers. He conquers his enemies. He conquers our enemies. He's the rulers. It says that his enemies are made to become his footstool. This isn't just like, yeah, he technically wants this complete and utter domination that his enemies are, are, are just completely finished. That they're not still sort of vying for supremacy and they might, they might win some of the days, lose some of the days. No, they're, they're his footstool. They're, just, they're completely destroyed. So he conquers his enemies, but... Given that he is now on our side, the implication out of this is that it doesn't really matter who is your enemy, Christ defeats them. That your enemy of sin is defeated. Your enemy, his enemy of Satan is defeated. So he, we see that he conquers. Verse 14, he completes salvation. He completes salvation. It says, that he has perfected those who are being sanctified. So it's not just that he, he saves us and then leaves us, or he saves us, but then we're still fundamentally the same as when we got saved. But no, he then does a work in his people to, 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 to complete them more into his image and to perfect him and to sanctify them, that he doesn't just forgive us. He sanctifies us and he purifies us. He perfects us and is per, he is perfecting us, and one day it, he has perfected us. And in a sense, he's, he's even drawing, he's saying, your, your perfection is so sure you, you can complete it. He's still sanctifying you, but it's as good as done. That perfection will be so real and so sure. 
So it's not just that he offers forgiveness, he offers us change from the inside out. So the fundamental problem is that we are sinners alienated from God. But he doesn't just change our, our, our status, he changes who we are. And he finishes what he begins in each one of us. In verse 16, we see that he makes a covenant with his people, that there's this covenant that he has with his people. And we see as, as we look at what, what, what about this covenant, that this covenant he makes with his people is, is both legal and relational. It, it's both at a legal level. It's a, it's a legal covenant. It, it's binding, but it's also a covenant of heart. If you're part of a church, if you know our family at all, you know our son DeAndre is adopted. And before DeAndre was legally adopted in Virginia, you go th- where, we were, where we were when we adopted him. He, um, in the state of Virginia, you begin a process of adoption, but you have to, the, the, you, he, li- like he lived with us for one year before we could apply for, sort of, um, before, for the process to be finalized. So he, he lived with us for a year before we could sort of apply for, the, for a judge to sign off and say, yep, this is now final. There's, there's nothing else to do. So, so he's living with us for a year, but after a year, we you know, obviously applied and the judge wrote, you know, gave us, you know, f- adoption was finalized. But when, when the judge finalized the adoption, Something really cool just happened. So DeAndre, when, when after final order for, for adoption came in, DeAndre got a new birth certificate. And the birth certificate listed M and I, not just as his parents, legal parents, but, but as his birth parents. So his birth certificate was changed so that, so that M and I were, were, were shown as the birth parents. And it's to symbolize this, that, that, all, that all that comes with being born into a family of identity and relationship and provision and love and, and you know, protection and all that. It all comes with being adopted into a family, that, it all, that, that it's all the same. Whether you're born into this family or adopted into this family, it's all the same. And so what the judge was, was doing, he, the judge was really, in a sense, finalizing what was already a relational reality, he was making a legal reality. And this covenant is pointing to this. There's a, there's a legal reality that the cross accomplishes, but, but it's it based on this relational reality that, that God has for his people to have a people of his very own. It's this legal and relational reality. That's the covenant that's in view in verse 16, right? As you, as you read about it, it's not just that it's, that it's technical and it's legal, it's, it's flowing with love and, it, and it's talking about a transforming power. It's talking about how he's, how, just what he does to our hearts and to our minds, about how it's, it's transformative. That's the covenant in view in verse 16. And then... Another thing, verse 19 notes that because of all this, because of adoption, because of what he has done for us on the cross, now because of this, we have confidence. So it's not just that forgiveness isn't just this technical, okay, the debts are paid, okay, yep, technically you don't, okay, sin's covered. It's this, oh, because of of forgiveness, it's now this, come on, you are beloved. All the access Jesus secured for you at the cross, you actually have. All the love God has for you, you, because you have all the love of God for you, you can come into the presence, you can come into the family of God. And in fact, this is written, it's not just this invitation, it's really this pleading, this, this command, come boldly before the throne. You have access to God himself, you, yet your, your sin isn't a barrier, your past isn't a barrier, your background isn't a barrier, fear and doubt are not a barrier. He's just saying, come, it's though these feelings, how you're feeling any given day about your relationship, with that, that's not what the defining reality is. 
You can come despite how you feel any given day. You can come despite your past. You can come despite whatever sin you're, you're struggling with at the moment because the blood of Jesus is defining reality. And he's saying you can draw near with confidence to God. And in verse 22, fifth, we see this he, in verse 22, he notes, and now we have a clean conscience. So forgiveness of sins means our debts are paid. And, and, and now what we, we have a clean conscience because his record of, of perfection, in a sense, is, is transferred to us. Even though we aren't perfect, we, we, we are given his record of perfection. So Christ's work, what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross, means our consciences are cleansed. That, that, are, that we are washed and we are clean, that we are being perfected. That, that His cross is, is more cleansing than our sin is staining. So our sin does not have the final word. Jesus cleanses our conscience because sin... And it can clean our conscience, not because he's saying, hey, don't worry about your sin. It's not this sense of like, yeah, hey, don't, don't, you know, your sin, not a big deal. Your sin can be minimized. It's not that. It's no, our sin has been dealt with. Justice has actually been met. And we are now being transformed. And so our consciences can rightly be clean because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And then, sixthly, we have a confession. We can, we have a sure confession. In light of all this, verse 23 says, says this, so therefore we hold fast to our confession. Because Jesus Christ is faithful, because Jesus Christ is faithful to all of his promises that, that all who trust in Jesus, he will not cast away, that all who, who claim Jesus Christ are saved, not based on their record, not based on their works, not based on their level of faith anymore, but because of what Jesus done. All who claim what Jesus did, not what they do, because God is faithful to his promise to save all who call in the name of the Lord and who, who, who trust in Jesus Christ because he is faithful. We don't hold fast to our works. We don't hold fast to our level of faith. We don't have to take, you know, how, how much faith do I have today? You know, I'm, I'm like an eight today. I'd really like to be a nine. No, we don't hold fast to our surety of faith at any moment. We hold fast to the confession of our hope. The confession of our hope is, 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 is this. It's not us. It's Jesus Christ. It's not my work, but it's the cross of Christ. It's not me who, who daily wanders, who daily doesn't hold fast, who daily doesn't sort of walk and follow the Lord perfectly, but it, it's holding fast to Him, and my hope is His faithfulness eternally. In fact, the, the, less, the less we hold, hold on to what we do, the more we automatically hold on to what He does, and so we confess Christ and and Christ's salvation, we, 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 we confess the cross of Jesus Christ, which is our hope and our surety. So we confess, we hold fast that Jesus Christ is the one who bore the cross and bore the blame and is the sacrifice. We hold fast to what he has done and not what we do. See, one of the, one of the things that this passage shows is the, the old is inferior in every way. But the cross of Jesus Christ brings real and permanent and eternal forgiveness. But it's not just, since one of the things I love about the passage, it's not just that it brings forgiveness. Forgiveness, in a sense, is just the beginning to all the blessings that flow from being forgiven, of adoption, of, of, of 
of, of being his, of having a covenant with him, that he, he conquers sin and death and Satan, that he completes the work he began. He, he makes a covenant with us, that we have confidence to enter his presence. We, our consciences are cleansed, and we have every reason to hold fast to and confess and trust in Jesus, in Jesus Christ alone because he is faithful to all his promises. The cross and the Christ who, and the Christ who hung from it are superior in every way. And I would simply say, if you are here tonight and you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the cross of Christ was necessary because our sin is so grievous because God is holy. Our, our, our sin, it's, it's not grievous in that it makes God sad. It's grievous in that it, it, it puts enmity, it puts separation between us and a holy God. And the and that death is required because God is holy, because God cannot, cannot, cannot not be holy. He can't lessen who He is. He can't lessen His purity. He can't lessen His nature and His character. And so if we stand before God with anything less than the blood of Jesus Christ, just know this, if, if the sacrifice, sacrificial system that God had set up to be a means of mercy to our people, if that was inferior, anything else we bring short of the blood of Jesus Christ is inferior in every way. Our own good works is inferior. Our own sort of relying on coming to, to church enough, our own just reliance on, you know, I was really raised with a good upbringing. I tried to be good. Everything we, we, we would do on our own is inferior in every way. But the cross of Jesus Christ is sufficient and abundant for your sins. And so if you never have, I would plead with you to turn from your sins and to place your faith in Jesus Christ. And one of the things I love about this passage shows us, and we confess, we, we, we hold fast and confess our hope, which isn't what we do. It's not, okay, I'm going to claim Jesus, but then I'm going to do all these other things. We claim Jesus, and then Jesus will slowly but surely do all these other things in our life. So we trust only and fully in him. I heard a story recently of an artist. I don't know if the story is true or not. It's one of those stories that sort of, you know, just kind of people tell. But, it, but it's this story of an artist from a, from a small town who ended up making it big. So he's, you know, very humble beginnings, but he makes it big. And, you know, now his artwork sells for just, you know, obscene sums of money. And he lives sort of this, you know, celebrity life. And he lives in the big city, you know, and, you know, all this kind of life of fame. But one day he went back to his hometown and he, and he was visiting his hometown, he's walking around, and he sees in a shop, sort of, you know, it's, there's all these paintings for sale, and he happens to notice one of his paintings for sale. And he, he, he loved the painting, not because he thought it was his best work, but he loved it because it was his, right? He just saw it there, and he's like, oh, I love this, you know, and it, and it was his, but it, the painting was before he was a name, it was when he was in art school kind of thing, and so it wasn't particularly good, it was just one of these things, but he saw it, and he loved it, and so he, did, he just, he, he wanted to have it. And the person who owned it, you know, really, it, it was clear by the way they were showing it and the way they were pricing it. Like, they didn't know what to do with it. It was dirty and it was dingy and it was just clear to, this, clear to the buyer. Like, he, you know, this is, is, you know, he doesn't know what he's doing with it. So, so, he, so he buys it and, and, he, and he makes it his own and, and, he, and he cleans it and he actually, you know, kind of, you know, he, he kind of perfects the painting in a sense as, as he bought it and he made it his own. And his painting was his, not just because he made it, but because he bought it. And, and it's, in so many ways, that's what the cross accomplishes for us. It's, it's that the God who made us then bought us. He makes us and redeems us. He forgives us. He purifies us. He loves us. He protects us because of what he has done at the cross of Jesus Christ, what 
the Christ has done for us at the cross is superior in every way. And so just to close and just to respond to this, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together as a church. Verse 21 and 22, again say this, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The Lord's Supper is an active invitation for us to draw near to the God who, who cleanses us, who sprinkles our consciences cleanse, who, who doesn't just sort of give us a covenant that's technical, but, but, but one that, that really, the Lord's Supper is to showcase God's lavish love for His people and to invite us to, 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 into further relationship with Him. So what the Lord's Supper is, in, in a real active way, is, is a confession of Christ. It's a confession that, that I need what this represents. I need the body broken of Jesus Christ. I need the blood of Jesus Christ spilled out for me. I, I desperately need that. But those who desperately need it and with faith receive it are those who also can be fully confident in what the blood of Jesus Christ and what the broken body of Jesus Christ has accomplished for them, forgiveness and a clean clean conscience and covenant relationship and and all the blessings that flow from the cross of Jesus Christ really are for you if you're in Jesus Christ. So we're going to do something a little bit different tonight. We're going to we're going to play a song, uh, a newer song by Phil Wickham that talks that really it's a focus. I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you just as we're listening to this song, just to, just to take time to, to quietly, just in your own seats, just reflect, to, to, to confess your need of Jesus Christ, to confess your sins to Jesus Christ, to, to confess where your own conscience is, is being cleansed, to confess, hey, here, here's sins that I need to confess to the Lord. But not only to confess your need and to confess your sins, but, but to also say, but because of the cross of Jesus Christ, I have every reason to draw near with confidence before the throne of God. But I, have, I, have, I can draw near because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. So we're going we're to listen to this song. I'm going to encourage you just to re- reflect. And I'm going to come up when the song's over and lead us in communion. Um, but this song really talks about, really, it, it, I think it does wonderfully two things. It focuses on what Christ has accomplished. For, it really walks us through the cross and what Christ has done for us at the cross. But it points ahead to that, that our hope isn't just that he died, but what we're going to celebrate in two days, uh, uh, that he rose victorious in the grave, finalizing and completing our salvation and giving us every reason for surety of hope. So I'm going to come back in a few minutes to lead us, but just take time to, for the Lord, quietly pray and reflect.